you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 and what will look like an impossible typo error up there. We are going to go through verses 12 through 42. Now, if you are new here, there's times where I will camp in one verse for about three hours. Um, so this is going to be a, a walk uh, through the field, well, a sprint, if you will. And so we're going to approach it. it. It's Thanksgiving weekend. A lot of our church family is traveling, and uh, we have some visitors here. And I thought um, we would approach this text a little differently than we normally do, because in, in, in a good way, it's a utility text, meaning that the author, Dr. Luke, is advancing the narrative here rather quickly, and there's details all over the place. So what we're going to do is I'm going to teach this on more of a running commentary style on this passage. And we, this, we will end our running commentary when we run out of verses. So I hope that you are hydrated. All right? No tidy wrap-up with music softly playing in the background. We're going to shake this passage like a fruit tree, if you will, with the firm force, with what I hope is um, a hermeneutical accuracy, and, and allow many applications from one text to begin to just fall out of the passage. Now, there will be many things that fall, but we know that God's Word never comes back void, so one of those applications are going to stick in your lap. And when one of those, we'll call it an apple, one of those apples from from our exegetical study, falls into your lap and it doesn't roll away, I want you to hold on to that. All right, I want you to hold on to that, the one that the Holy Spirit impresses upon your heart. And at the end, we're going to do something a little bit differently. There's going to be two runners here. And they're going to have microphones. And I'm going to ask the question, what stuck out to you and why? What stuck out to you and why? And this will be an opportunity for you. And we'll just take a few with two to three sentences this stuck out, this is why, and if you're feeling really brave, how we could apply it to our lives. So have your thinking caps on and your fruit baskets open, if you will, and we will walk through this. But we have a, a lot of text here. So I'm going to read it right now, and then I'm not going to read it again as we go through the whole thing because there's just so much there. Picking up in verse 12 of chapter 5. Context, Ananias Sapphira struck dead for introducing the sin of hypocrisy in the church. And great fear came across the whole church. Verse 12, And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all in one accord on Solomon's porch. But none of the rest dared to associate with the church. However, the people did held them in high esteem. In all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. And when Peter came by, they wanted at least his shadow to fall on any one of them. Also, people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick and afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. But the high priest, who is a Sadducee, along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles. And they didn't put them in the Sanhedrin jail. They put them in the public jail. That tells you a little bit there. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and 
taking them out, he said, go and stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, the apostles entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and the associates came, they called the council together, even the senate and the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought in. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely. We did our job. The guards were standing outside the doors. It is not our fault. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard the, these words, they were greatly perplexed about, them, perplexed about them as to what had come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are actually standing in the temple teaching the people right now. Then the captain, who was second in, in, in power of the temple, went along with his officers and proceeded to bring them back without any violence, for they were afraid of the people that they themselves might be stoned. When they had brought them in, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Yet you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as the prince and the savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things. And so the Holy Spirit whom God has given us uh, has given to those who obey Him. But when they heard this, they were cut quick and they intended to kill the apostles. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all those, stood up in the council and gave orders to have the men put out for a short time. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you purpose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be someone, in a group, about 400 men joined him, but he was killed, just like Jesus. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After them, there was a man of Judas of Galilee, not the Judas we know, a different one, because Judas, we know, who betrayed Jesus, was not from Galilee, rose up in those days of the census and, and drew away some people after him. Just like Jesus, he too perished. And all those who followed him were scattered. These two were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For, this plan, for if this plan is the action of men, it will be overthrown, just like Judas and the others. But if it is of God, you won't be able to overthrow them anyway. Or else you may be found guilty fighting against God. So they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. And he ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. And they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame. Isn't that an oxymoron? Worthy and shame. Worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. With that, let's do a walking, running commentary. We will shake this tree with some hermeneutical uh, teaching, and then I want to hear what's stuck in your lap. But let's open in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we understand nothing without your Holy Spirit. We see no truth without your Holy Spirit. We feel no conviction without your Holy Spirit. We have no deposit without your Holy Spirit. We are not sealed without your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we thank you and we pray that the ministry of the Holy Spirit 
who is three in one God, that you would challenge our hearts. Help our time with your word to be more than a religious activity. But that we would come to delight in you because we love you. Father, you did not come to merely save us, but to transform us in the image of your Son. We pray that today. Father, I am a sinner. I confess my sin. And I ask that you use a, a man who is unworthy to do the work. And so, Father, I pray this and I ask this in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say Amen. Can you see the early church shaking? Let us remember what just happened with Ananias and Sapphira falling to the floor and quickly being buried outside. Can you see them shaking? Two of their very own were disciplined and struck dead for introducing hypocrisy to the church. They lied to God. They lied to Peter. And they tried to, here it is, simulate holiness. We do that. Simulate holiness in front of the church and in front of God. And they were struck dead. And we unpacked why last week. So in the, in the interest of time, you can see that online. But can you see them shaking? They are as human as you and I are right now. God had made it abundantly clear He would not allow His infant church to look down the barrel of hypocrisy and play around with it. Because nothing destroys the church's witness and nothing destroys the testimony of the church more than for us to live hypocritical lives that are not transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, we're just another religious institution. So let me make this abundantly clear. God and His church have just practiced a very powerful and severe form of church discipline. And look what happened when they did this. It says this, that no one dared to associate with the church. However, the people held them in high esteem. How many here would hold a church whose members drop dead when they lie in high esteem? Anyone at all? I think we'd go, yeah, they're the real deal over there. No one dared to associate with them. But then it says this, but more and more believers in the Lord and multitudes of men and women. Now we see women being added into the count here and it's too much. They can't even put a number on it. We're constantly being added to the church. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see that? Anyone at all? Well, which is it? Now, if you're anything like me, you might say, which is it, Luke? You can't have both. No one dared to associate with them and more are constantly being added to their number. In fact, if we were to click it, I bet it would even highlight, though there it is, a miracle, all right? Would highlight this. Can't be both. Well, the answer is found in the previous context of Ananias and Sapphira. So we're going to shake the first apple from the tree here. Which is it? Here it is. No hypocrites dared to join the church. Oh, that this would be said of us. Not that we're perfect people. We sin. We are saved by grace. We need forgiveness in our lives. But that we would be people dedicated and committed to the, to the mission of Jesus Christ. 
And what facilitated this? Think about this. What facilitated this? Church discipline and authentic Christianity. Imagine that! Church discipline and authentic Christianity. Now I want to stop for a moment and I want to ask you, do you see something about to fall from the tree as we shake this here? The early church was, was one that the uncommitted dared not join. Huh. The uncommitted did not dare to join this church. The church was designed for truly committed followers of Jesus Christ. It was not designed to make everyone comfortable in the hopes that we could fill as many seats as we possibly could. My friends, church discipline is a key to effective evangelism. One thing I appreciate about our church membership classes, which, by the way, I hate that term, church membership classes. It should be church submission path is that we tell people. We tell them right out in the, in the class. And, and those of you who have been in the class for the last few years know we say this. We say this might not be the church for you. We're not trying to woo people to join Trinity Baptist Church. In fact, there are times where we're like, you might not want to join here. This might not be the church for you. And we say these things. Truth be told, all of you in this, in this membership submission class will not and should not join our church at this time. If you are not ready to fully commit, we encourage you that maybe you should continue to search for another church or don't join at this time. Sit under the Word of God and when you feel like you're ready to fully commit, then join the church because we in church, if you would affirm this, we believe in meaningful church membership. Amen? The, the, the term uh, uh, inactive member is an oxymoron. In fact, we also teach that we do church discipline here. This is why we do those covenant commitments when we have people join the church. I know they may seem a little awkward, but we want to teach and remind ourselves of why we are here. This month again, we went over our church membership roles and many letters and phone calls will be made for those who are about to be removed from our church membership. Removed because they're not attending. They're not coming. They're not serving. Which, by the way, I want you to grab this, and I am asking for an amen. It is a biblical mandate to attend church and edify and serve it. Amen? That's the Bible! We have this weird idea, I know, crazy, that if you're going to join a biblical church, you ought to be a biblical member. Now, with that in mind, sometimes people get a little upset about that. I'm going to be removed for not attending? Can you believe we live in this world? Yes! Yes, we have this weird low bar that you have to breathe in this building. And maybe if you feel very generous, get to know someone. But why do people get upset at this? Because we have wrongly taught that the church is an American club that is ours to do with what we want. And I want to say this, this is never seen in the Bible. It is never seen in the Bible. The never-ending problem with the American church today is we have lost sight of this. 
We have traded in our mission and the meaning of the church for cheap, cheap substitutes like social justice or political activism or my personal favorite, a country club for our own personal socialization. When in reality, we are here for one primary purpose, which is to glorify God with our lives and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, what a contrast between the modern church today and the biblical church that is in this text. The context could not be greater. The modern church seeks to build itself with the tolerance of sin. Let me say that again. The modern church seeks to build itself with a tolerance of sin. The Lord builds His church with sinners who long for holiness. If we are... A growing, if we are growing the church for any other reason than this, let me be clear, we are not growing the church of Jesus Christ. We are just inflating another human institution that does not save our souls. Yet this church is growing in this text. So why? Why is this, this church growing? So let's shake the text and, and really just pull it apart here, alright? Let me start out by just pointing out kind of a humorous point that I see here immediately here. Alright? It says here, a sect of the Sadducees. Now if you remember from our previous study, the Sadducees were very wealthy landowners. They were elite. They, they, had, they were power hungry. And, and they were arrogant and snobby. But they were also liberal theologians. Liberal theologians that did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in heaven and hell. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Which is one of the reasons why the high priest is so ticked off right now. Because everything that Peter is teaching is the opposite of what the Sadducees say exists. And by the way, they don't even believe in angels. Now I want you to grab that right there. They don't believe in angels. Look at what God sends to free them. An angel of the Lord opened the gates that the Sadducees put the, the, the Sadducees put the apostles in. Can you see this conversation in heaven? Lord, Lord our God, the apostles have been arrested by the Sadducees again and put in jail. How would you like them delivered? Can you see the Lord going, you said the Sadducees? Go ahead and send an angel. No one knows his audience more than the creator of the universe. He created his audience. And by the way, if I were the angel that God sent, I would be the loudest angel uh, the earth had ever seen. I'd be kicking over buckets and, and hitting rattling bars and going, hey, divine being you say doesn't exist, coming through. Probably why I was never made it, it'd be an angel. Although my family thinks I'm an angel. No, no, let's move forward, all right? He says this, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Let me just boil this down. God commanded them to do the opposite of what the governing authorities told them to do. Don't listen to the authorities. I am the authority. Amen, church? God is truth. My friends, when the governing authorities demand us to do that which is directly against the Word of God, we must obey God rather than men. In fact, Peter came out and said we must obey God rather than men in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Now, to be clear, we are to be submissive to governing authorities. Even when those authorities are not godly people. Or here's one. Get ready, red and blue America. We are to submit to authorities even when it's not the person we voted for. 
I know the doors are over there if you're uncomfortable. That's biblical authority. But I want to focus on something very closely here. Look at what the governing authorities are saying they cannot do. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, verse 28 says, which that name is summed up by the angel's instructions, the whole message of life. Whose life? It just says there, the the message of this life. Whose life? The life of Jesus Christ. The life, the work, and the message of Jesus. That is the whole message of Jesus Christ. this, This unedited entire Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is about who Jesus is, how salvation is found, and in what God desires of us. The whole message of this life, by the way, starts in the Garden of Eden and ends in the book of Revelation. And we cannot edit it. It is the whole thing. Now, with that in mind, the governing authorities are saying, you need to edit this message now. How many here are thankful? None of this applies in our politically correct world today. Amen? Are we asked to edit the Word of God at all? The calendars change. The planet rotates. The seasons go. The years, the decades, the centuries, and the millennia go. But it's still the same people. It's the same hearts. My friends, 2,000 years have passed and our governing authorities are beginning to demand the same thing. Are they not? And I find it ironically, in the name of tolerance and acceptance, we are to shut up. Think about that. We need to be tolerant and accepting. And I agree with that, by the way. It used to be called liberal thinking, where multiple ideas could be put on the table and they were debated and the best one won. How many here long for the classic liberal? Amen? Where everyone was at least allowed to have a thought in their head. Okay, only I am excited about that. All right? But ironically, in the name of tolerance and acceptance, our world wants us to abandon much of what our faith teaches. And if there is ever an area that we cannot obey man, if there is ever an area it is not in, that, that we must disobey, it is about proclaiming the whole message of Jesus Christ. So with love and humility and compassion, we hold to all the teachings of Jesus Christ. We do not believe that all love is equal, but that God's love is sacred. We teach that discrimination is unaccepted because all are made in the image of God. That love is not expressed most by loving those who love us, but rather loving those who hate us. And above all else, we teach that salvation is found in no other name than Jesus Christ, the resurrected, who is forever to be praised. Amen! That is our message. And it will not be edited. Kent Hughes hits a home run when he says this, no matter how hostile the surroundings, no matter how Philistine the workplace, how callous the friend or neurotic the neighbor, we are meant to share Christ both in the way that we live and in the words that we speak. Now, this is kind of fun. Look how foolish the governing authorities look here. Now when the high priest and their associates came, they called the council together. Not just the council, but the, the, the senate and the sons of Israel. The students that weren't even on the bench. Everybody. I mean, this is a, a packed house. 
Every representative is there. This is a full 71 plus people are there. And they gather in those chambers inside the inner court of the temple called the, 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 the room cut of hewn stone. It was cut out of solid stone. By the way, blocked out a lot of noise because there's also some noise coming in the temple gates as well. So they're meeting in their, their, their beautiful chambers to flex their human authority over this young church of God. And they finally send orders to the prison house for, for these apostles to be brought in. I want you to grab this. The Sanhedrin council is full and the jail cell is empty. Love the imagery there. And word comes back. Can you see him coming up to Caiaphas and Aenus and, and all the, the Sanhedrin? Where are they? Oh, we did our job really good. You ever had people talk to you like that? Like they got to set the stage. It was locked. The guards were outside. We did everything you told us to do. But they're not there. You want to know what else is not there? The control of the Sanhedrin over our sovereign God. Oh, Washington thinks they're powerful, do they not? Their last breath was the grace of our Heavenly Father. Now, with that in mind, we move into here. And they say, well, where are they? <clears throat> well, it gets worse news from here. They had entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Oh, what a picture. The council is meeting in the temple ready for the apostles to be brought in. And the apostles are already teaching in the temple. I just want to make a quick point here. The world is powerless to stop our all-powerful God. Remember that when you turn on the news. All of it is just in His hand. He's doing what He wills. His true church will never fail. In fact, you might say that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Amen? Now, I love this here. We will not be ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of salvation. Oh, and by the way, the more this world puts pressure on the true church, and I want to highlight the true church, the more the, the world puts pressure on the true church of Jesus, the more we just spread. My friends, we are the glitter of the universe. We are just everywhere, and it's impossible to remove it all. You know, so with all that being said, I want you to look at, at some of the application that we, we shook off the tree already. And, and, and I want you to start asking, did any of this stick in my lap? So with that, let's shake some more out of this text and, and see what, what hits us here. It says this, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Now, I want you to see what Peter is saying here. He says the words, our fathers. Look at the inclusive tone there. He's not like, you stink. I think you should die. All right? It's our fathers. Peter is compassionately, but he's also being brutally honest, whom you killed. But he says that he's compassionately drawing the Sanhedrin in by saying, our faith in Christ is the fulfillment, not the contradiction, of Judaism. Jesus is what we've been looking for all along. The search of your soul is completed in Jesus. 
Salvation, a relationship with Jesus Christ, is not in all these empty substitutes that we're clinging to. Can I draw just a quick thread of application here? I want to speak to every soul that is here today. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you are looking for. He is not the contradiction of it. Jesus is not the contradiction of what you need. He is the fulfillment. And it is found in a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, not some hybrid, stale, religious thought process. And then he says this, whom you put to death by hanging on the cross. Now there's that brutal truth. Peter does not soft-serve the Gospel here. He tells them the hard truth. In our seeker-sensitive culture today, we like to do the bait-and-hide approach. The bait-and-hide approach. We try not to hit people with the whole counsel of God. We try to edit portions they may not like. We try not to hit them with the whole counsel of God. We try to lure them in with entertaining packages, self-improvement programs on how to feel good about ourselves. I think it's gotten to the point that the doxology of the modern church has come from the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome! Everything is not awesome! Amen? Welcome to Trinity. All right. Your weary head here. There are some wonderful things in life, and there's glorious things in our Heavenly Father and His Son and the Word of God, but everything is not awesome! Let me make this clear. Church should be a place of joy. Church should be a place of of peace and comfort, but let that joy come from the truth of God's Word in that we are sinners saved by the grace of God, clothed in His righteousness. Now I want you to see something here that was meaningful to me in many, many ways. Check this out. To grant repentance to Israel for the forgiveness of sins. John Calvin said this, and I just, I just want you to press your own heart into this. I was talking to a young man this week who was struggling with his relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Texted me late at night, which by the way is my favorite because I can't tax my thumbs. It's for young people. And I'm still young, but I just don't like it. His relationship with Christ was just this giant circle of emotional high and then failure. Emotional high and then failure. And he's very, very depressed. And I said, tell me the definition of repentance. And he said, feel sorry for my sin. And I said, well, that might be the beginning spot because that is not repentance. John Calvin says, repentance is an inward turning of man to God which shows itself by re- to be real by our external behavior. Peter is offering this to the Sanhedrin. Here's a question. Do you and I have external evidence of an internal truth? Because if it's just intellectual, but it's not of your life, then that's not repentance. It's knowledge. Knowledge does not save. Let me say that again, Grand Rapids. Knowledge does not save. The seminaries do not hold the power of salvation. It is faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Amen? 
It's taking that knowledge and incorporating it into all that you are. Now, do you have internal evidence of, or external evidence of an internal truth? Which, by the way, repentance in the Word of God is described as the kindness of God. So let me be clear. These exact people that Peter is speaking to, the Sanhedrin, are the ones who forced Pilate to kill Jesus on the cross. You know, we often hear the words, we all killed Jesus. We all killed Him. With our sin. How many here remember the, the contemporary Christian group of the 90's FFH? Anyone at all? Alright, cool people, alright? It was my sin. Those were my nails. Those were, that, is, that is my cross. And while that is doctrinally true, these people, these people actually, literally, were the ones who shed the blood of Jesus Christ. Now why am I telling you this? We're almost done. Let me see. No, we're not near. Let's see. Why, we are. Why am I telling you this? Do you see the grace of God here? Do you see the grace of God here? This is Peter's second opportunity before the Sanhedrin. The blood of Jesus, of Jesus' murder is all over them. And they know it well. In fact, they even say the words, this man's blood is upon us. Yet God is giving them another opportunity to repent. Another opportunity. And that Jesus will grant forgiveness to them if they, as John Calvin so accurately puts it, not just feel bad or not just know, but repent of their sins. Oh, my friends, God's grace is so great that it extends to all those who literally murdered His Son. And He offers it not once, but again and again and again and again. For it is the will of God that none should perish. This is the wonderful grace of Jesus. My friends, let us never write off those who seem far from the Gospel, for we are not the gatekeepers of eternal life. We are the search and rescue team sent by our Savior. grab this. If we are to wear thin on unbelievers, and we do, if we are to wear thin on them, let us wear them out with the love and the grace and the truth of God. Because the grace and the truth of Jesus can reach the furthest soul. In fact, we are about to see just how Far, the, the repetitive washing grace of Jesus can reach in these verses right here. Which, by the way, represents the end of our text. How many here are excited? Can I get a witness? Anyone at all? Have any apples stuck in your lap yet? Hold that. Here we go. We will see this hidden in the text. It can only be popped through historical background studies. So with that in mind, let us never write anyone off because Jesus' grace, His, His pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit can reach anyone. Take a look at verse 34. But the Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law and respected by all people. Let me tell you a little bit about this man that we don't know a whole lot of. This is the only rabbi ever named in Scripture. That's how honored he is. This is the only rabbi that is named in Scripture. He is highly respected. He is so respected, you can see right here, that they, they took his advice. All 
70 listened to Him. He's not even the high priest. They listened to Him. The Mishnah, which you guys should be somewhat familiar with, which is the oral tradition of Jewish law written down right around the 200 A.D., actually wrote in the Mishnah about Gamaliel. They wrote about him. This is found written nearly 1,800 years ago by, by, by non-acidic ink with a quill onto parchment paper where it finally grabbed onto it. This is 1,800 years old. It says this, When Rabbi Gamaliel, where is it? Rabbi Gamaliel, an elder died. There it is. The glory of the law ceased. He was the epitome of the Sanhedrin. Purity and abstinence died with him. He was known, by the way, as a wise pragmatist. You can see that in his 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 counsel. Hey, you know, Judas had some followers. He died. They they fell off. There was this other guy. He died. They fell off. You know, let's just do with what works here. He was a wise pragmatist. In fact, you see it here. In, 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 in his advice, take care what you purpose to do with these men. Now, in the Greek, prasuke, autos, epithoites, anthropoi. This first word right here, take care. Let's, let's circle it here. Okay? This word here, literally translated, has the, the meaning of this. Think before you act on your emotions. Think before you act on your emotions, says the wise pragmatist enshrined in the Mishnah, the only one mentioned in the Word of God. Now as I look at this, I see absolutely no fruit of application here. first advice in the Bible about how you post on your social media pages just fell out. Listen, church. Emotions are a good thing. But never make large decisions or public decisions based on how you feel. Do not make decisions based on how you feel. Always based then on what you know from the Word of God and the safety of many counselors. These men, and you you should apply that to your, you should call your friend, I'm ready to blast uh, Facebook with this message. Should I do it? And call about five friends before you do it, alright? Just for everyone's sake. How about for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ, there ought to be two keys that have to be turned simultaneously for us to post when we're mad. Amen? I'm one of those keys. All right, no, let's move forward, all right? Based upon the safety of many counselors, these men are emotionally charged. You see it right here. They were cut to the quick. That's an old term, isn't it? Use that this week. When somebody irritates you, say, you have cut me to the quick, young man. Likely a young woman. But whoever, all right? I'm just joking. I am cut to the quick. Here it is. I'm infuriated. And they wanted to kill the apostles. Now back to Gamaliel. Talking about how 
the importance of extending the grace and the Gospel to everyone over and over and over again because there is no one outside the reach of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter offers the uncompromised Gospel to those who actually had the blood of Jesus on their hands. And one wise Pharisee who is respected by all was, was listening to Peter here now, Gamaliel here, uh, to our knowledge, never accepted the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If he did, he would have been thrown out of the Sanhedrin and likely would have never been enshrined in the Mishnah. But I need you to grab this because the name Gamaliel, hope I'm saying that right, comes up again in the book of Acts. Allow me to read it and then together let's observe where the seeds of the Gospel that Peter keeps offering to the men over and over and over again who have the blood of Jesus on their hands. Let's just see where some of the seeds roll and to what feet they roll to. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Did I get that? Good enough. But brought up in the city, educated under Gamaliel. And who was this person speaking here in Acts chapter 22? It was the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I was a Jew. I was a student of Gamaliel. Now, with that little bit there, my friend, never stop living. Never stop offering the unedited Gospel of Jesus Christ in His grace because there is no one outside the reach of our gracious Lord. For what we see here is that a student of Gamaliel who hated Jesus will soon become a child of the living God and rather than persecute Him and, and try to destroy His church, He will literally write the majority of the New Testament that you and I study today. Never ever give up giving the Gospel. Amen? It's there! Now, don't let this slip. Because Gamaliel, and I always want to say Gargamel, but that's the Smurfs, right? Let's go with Gargamel. Alright? Gamaliel, and soon to be Apostle Paul, watch, they watch what happens. Paul's here. Gamaliel is here. Nicodemus is here. Joseph of Arimathea is here. They're in the Sanhedrin. They're watching this. They flog them. Who's them? The twelve apostles. They flog them and order them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they release them. Now if you're anything like me, a lot of times I read the Word of God in order to get it done. And we miss things. This word flogdom is, and I'm, I'm going to pause right here, is not when your mom and dad used to spank you three times on the rear end. How many here can at least follow what it was like to grow up in the real world? Anyone at all? Who here had a board readily available by their father or mother that they would grab at any time? Anyone at all? It was torture. Remember when they'd say, go to your room? And they'd make you wait there for... I don't know. What was your word? Eternity. I, I, I'm telling you, I think my dad finished his meal. He mowed the lawn. And you just the psychological torture that he would build up. I never did that with my kids. <laughs> I did. I used, never mind. No, nope, I'm not revealing nothing, all right? This is not like you get paddled. The word flog here was regulated by the Torah. First five books of the Bible. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, especially Deuteronomy, which, by the way, is what the Sadducees drew everything from. Deuteronomy. You also find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Bible was never truly good enough. They, what did they have to do to the Bible? They had to what? Talk to me. Any word you want to give. They, there was the Word of God, and because they were so spiritual, they, they, they did what? Talk to me. They improved upon the Word of God. How many of us ever try to improve upon the Word of God? Baptists? To improve upon the Word of God in the Mishnah, the oral record of, of, of Jewish law, they improved upon it in, in the Mishnah by taking the 40 lashes that the Torah allowed and they took away one lash and made it 39 to improve upon it so that they could show that they were merciful. How many are thankful that your Lord's definition of mercy is nothing like the Sadducees? Amen? Now, this would have been a three-stranded whip made out of calf hide. This is not like the Roman cat of nine tails. This would have three. It was made out of leather. Alright? And they would take this thing and they would, in their mercy, save one. Would whip these men near death. In fact, historical records tell us that many men actually died at a loss of blood because of these floggings. And one by one, the apostles in front of more than 70-some people had their robes stripped down around their waist and they had their backs opened up. And they would whip them 39 times with, with, with the flesh of their skin being shredded until their robes were soaked with blood. And, and by the way, all 12 of them would take turns getting this. I want to pause for a moment and in silence appreciate the severity of this moment. This is not a spanking. That's if the whip only had one, not three. One by one, 39 lashes. And when one got done, that apostle would fall to the floor, hemorrhaging blood with every nerve of his back screaming with the smallest of movement. As they waited for all twelve follow fellow apostles to receive their lashes, their flogging. And then they staggered home, blood running down their legs, with their robes beginning to stick against their collagulating tears on their back. Now I need you to hold that, hold that, hold that. Feel that. Gamaliel in what will someday be the Apostle Paul, his student, watch it all. 
By the way, Paul will be whipped like this later for the cause of Christ. The gospel never comes back void. Now what I want you to do is I want you to picture all of this in your mind and then I want you to see these words here. Let's go ahead and put them up here. Here it is. They went on their way from the presence of this council rejoicing that they were considered worthy of suffering shame for His name. In an honor and shame culture, what an oxymoron worthy of shame. How does a child of God respond to persecution? Exactly opposite of a cultural Christian in America today. We know nothing of persecution. And when we even sniff even a scent of persecution, our response is not to rejoice that we are, we are considered worthy, but to fight back with bitter rage. May I offer a simple suggestion? Last year I heard a great deal about the persecution of the church. Wouldn't you love for today's Christian to sit with Paul and Peter and compare not only their persecution stories, but how they responded? They took Merry Christmas off my Starbucks coffee mug, Paul! And they replaced it with Happy Holidays and Christmas trees on the humanity! And then I would... Not to be undone, I would chime in. My HOA will not let me erect a horribly inaccurate manger scene in my front yard. Peter would have dreamed for the persecution of Starbucks and HOAs. Can you see Peter? Stretches back out. Scarred. Scarred. Muscles that never really healed right. Lean in a little confused and say, and what was your response to this unbearable persecution? Well, I, I responded like anyone else, without rage. I hurled insults at all those who did not agree with me. I withdrew from the church, put all my energy into political reform, wrote letters of contempt. I harbored rage to all those who did not agree with me, and I refused to talk to them ever again. May I ask us a question? Does the following describe our response to the smallest of persecution in America today? Tell me if, if you see any of this in your heart when you even... Persecution. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Long-suffering. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness self-control. My friends, when we do face persecution from this world, no matter how light or how harsh it may be, do we rejoice that we are found worthy to suffer for His name because He suffered for me? My friends, may I submit to you that when we respond to persecution with anger and rage rather than rejoicing, it is because we are the object of our worship and our faith, not Jesus Christ.
You see, how you respond to persecution will reveal who is the object of our worship. And real quick, look at what happened here. And we are literally a minute from being done. So grab your apples, if you will. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. What stops us? A dirty look? A little bit of political correctness? Wokeness? Let me take it from the other side of the scale. Religious tradition. What stops us in word and in life? And with that, we have given this text its last hermeneutical shape. Much has fallen from this text. But maybe just one of them stuck with you. God's Word never comes back for you. I want to close by having just some of them. And then we'll be set free for the rest of the day. No evening service. Can I have three minutes? And by three, I mean I don't know how long. Okay? We're, we are almost done. I'm going to ask some of you to communicate what application the Holy Spirit has dropped into your lap. And I want you to answer with just, just a couple sentences. That's it. For each part of this question. People will microphones will come across. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. They're going to bring a microphone to you. We did a lot of shaking here. Alright? I hope you learned something new. I did. The Word of God cannot be plumbed. Its application is never ending. So with that being said, what stood out to you today and why? And if you're really brave, this is extra credit, you don't have to do it. How can this be applied? Did I see it? I saw, I saw uh, over here with Michael Sutherland and then I want to one over here by Jordan. When Michael Sutherland gets done with his, whoever wants to be next, raise your hand. They will run that mic. We're only going to do a few. What stood out to you, Michael? And why? Just as more of a, as an umbrella is, no matter how hard you try, you will not stop God's plan. Amen. You throw him in prison, and my job's not done with you, so let's go finish up. Has God's gospel plan ever been done with you? He's not done with me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michael.